friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Crazy Thursday, Hayden. Electric one. Never a dull moment in this league. How's that finger doing? Are you probable for today? I'm probable. The fantasy blueprint was still a couple hours late because of the finger. Uh, if you guys are new here, we just spent 15 minutes talking about Odell Beckham. I'm sure it suggested in the YouTube video below. If you're on the podcast feed, what are you doing? Come over to YouTube where you can see our gorgeous uh, faces. We, we've invested in our camera, so you're missing out if you're just listening. <laughs> Semi-pale. I have like an orangish light above my head, so it looks gives me a little bit of a tan, makes my teeth a little bit whiter than they are, so... We do our best over here. As you all know, this is the game-by-game game preview show. We'll go over matchups, some breakouts, injury questions and concern, go through some pick em lines, and obviously some totals as well. Again, bye weeks, Chicago Bears, New York Giants, Cincinnati Bengals, and the Houston Texans. We'll go through the 1 o'clock slate, 4 o'clock slate, and then 7.30. And by the way, after that 4 o'clock slate, Around that 7.30 time frame, we have our instant reaction show on Sunday. So be sure to check us out there as well. All right. The game that I have lined up first, Hayden, a good old slobber knocker. The 5-4 and four Cleveland Browns against the 5-4 and four New England Patriots with the Patriots one and a half point favorites, a total of 45 and a half. We know this game is headlined by question marks at the running back position. Let's start off with what I actually think is maybe the more interesting offense at this point, Hayden, if you're allowing me to, in the New England Patriots. I think in this game, the Patriots have to trust Mac Jones. And I kind of feel like more people are, are giving more focus to the Patriots now than they have for much of the season. And it comes at the same time that Mac Jones isn't quite playing as well as he was in the previous weeks. In the last two, just 30 completions on 53 attempts, just 356 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and one fumble. So with Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris in the concussion protocol, I think Mac Jones is going to have to shoulder a lot of responsibility in this game in order for the Patriots to win. I think you're exactly right. As of Thursday, neither of those two running backs have practiced. That would leave Brandon Bolden and J.J. Taylor as the two active running backs, and they'd probably sign somebody else but I think that neither one of those guys are a Damian Harris or Ramondre Stevenson type to run up the middle constantly. And we've seen the Patriots are pretty even when it comes to neutral pass rate and, and pace and all that stuff. I think you're exactly right. This could tick up a little bit. The problem, though, is I just watched the Cleveland Browns defense get absolutely after it last week. And the reason why they were just so improved, they got Denzel Ward back. They had great plays from Greg Newsom, their first round corner. Their entire front line is healthy. They are getting JOK back eventually. I'm not sure if it's this week or next week. But this Browns defense, all of a sudden, the one that we were sold as potentially a top 10 unit coming into the year, suddenly is uh, way healthier than, than it has been. So Mac Jones is going to probably drop back more than we were used to the last couple of weeks. But this Browns defense is no joke. So I'm agreeing with Vegas. I think that this total deserves to be as low it is, as, it, as it is right now. few things there. I think because of so much news this week and what we still don't know, and I, you know, they, maybe they get in a limited session, one of the two. We talked about this a lot in the usage show between Damien and Ramondre. If one of those two do suit up on Sunday, they're an absolute must play for me. Now, if neither of them suit up, Brandon Bolden is an yes. absolute must play. And I'm still seeing him on some free agent list if I haven't grabbed him. 
on like Wednesday and Thursday and maybe even heading to Friday with some of you listening to this because people just view him as a passing down back. He will be the most trusted player in that backfield. Point blank and period to go along with the same time that this offensive line is starting to gel more and more and more. And as we know, they're starting to get and continue to get creative offensively, especially with wheel routes out of the backfield to, to their running backs. The other part of this, Hayden, and I don't know if Kevin Stefanski is on the Sean McVay and Brandon Staley wavelength of does a player I need to practice in order to play. But as we stand here on Thursday evening, Miles Garrett did not practice for the second straight day to a foot due to a foot injury. And as you talked about, that Browns defense is one that is also hitting its stride and the best moments might be to come with JOK returning and Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom and that front four along that defensive line. But if he's out, that's a major, major piece, especially with Isaiah Wynn struggling the most at left tackle so far for the Patriots offensive line. We're also going to be tracking Trent Brown might be coming back for the Patriots and the Patriots the lot, like from weeks two to like week eight, there was just a constant lo- rotation. They were just trying to figure out who's going to line up where they might for the first time in a long time, have their projected five s- starters on the offensive line coming into the season available for this week. So that could be a boost. As for the Browns, big storyline is Nick Chubb on the COVID list. In theory, he can still come back if he gets two negative tests. We don't see that too often. Um, so I'm assuming he's out along with, uh, John Kelly, along with um, Demetrius Felton. Felton. So it's just Dearness Johnson. Obviously, if he's the only one available, you're starting him. Uh, the Patriots definitely will be trying to shut down this outside zone uh, rushing attack for the Browns. But the Browns are so hell-bent on giving their running backs 20 touches here that you, no matter what, Dearness Johnson would be a starter if Nick Chubb's out. Yeah. Browns had 13 personnel and more than half their snaps Last week, so three tight ends. We'd expect that to continue with, you know, Jarvis Landry somewhat banged up and Donovan Peoples-Jones when they go in those heavy sets being that vertical passer, sometime even on on isolated routes. Uh, again, there's the Browns paid all their offensive linemen this week. I mean, you had Wyatt Teller. You had Joel Petonio. You have Jedrick Wills under contract. You have J.C. Treader under contract. And you have Jack Conklin, who's been in now the lineup this year due to injury. I think... From a zoomed out perspective, we can start having the conversation of, well, what does that say about Baker Mayfield moving forward and the money they might have for him? But also, it always goes back to me, Hayden, with how what they asked Baker to do when they're successful. Like in four wins this season, Baker has completions of just 19, 19, 15, and 14. That has to be among the lowest, the lowest in the NFL among starting quarterbacks. Um, but that's what they want to do. And that's where they're at their best. And don't get me wrong. Like last week, he definitely hit some throws, but when I just view Bill Belichick and this defense being extremely powerful up front and what they might be at their best to stop, especially if Nick Chubb is out to me, that's a big difference between Nick Chubb who can reel off, you know, 40, 50 yard plays versus Dearness Johnson. You can be productive, but it's not going to create those game changing moments like the other back might. I think it's simply who's going to win the trenches is going to win this game. And like I, that's yes. like the most cliche thing ever, but this is like, it's never been more true than this game. Uh, real quick, Jarvis Landry, he's the wide receiver 20 in fantasy usage over the last four weeks. He had 11.3 expected half PPR points last week, 24% target target share without Adele Beckham. So he's like a wide receiver three flex option as the only available uh, wide receiver. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones was banged up too, so... Uh, we'll track all the news. That's what the Sunday show is for. But as of right now, it's Dearness Johnson, it's Jarvis Landry. That's it. On the other side of the ball, 
it's whoever's starting out with the running backs. And that's basically it. The wide receivers and tight ends, there's too many even mouse to feeds. And until Jacoby Myers gets into the end zone, it's hard to flirt with his ceiling too. So it's, it's not a fantasy game. I think it'll be a fun offensive lineman game though. Well, well, let's go over to a game that has a lot of points attached to it. And that's the four and four Atlanta Falcons against the six and two Dallas Cowboys who are nine point favorites, a total of 54 and a half. They are six and two, but they're also coming off a game. The Cowboys Hayden, when they were down the scoreboard 30 to nothing. And I, I went back and watched that game against the Broncos this morning. And like every single fork in the road moment that the Cowboys had, they went in the wrong direction. Like, like yep. they failed. There's a fourth and one stop early by Denver. Then on the next drive, they got another stop on fourth and two. Then there was a third and one miss to Noah Brown, a comeback off play action by Dak Prescott that I'll hit most of the time. Then another third and seven overthrow to CD Lamb. Again, there's more and more I can list, including that ridiculous block punt fiasco, which they should have had the ball at 16 nothing, but they touched it downfield. So it went back to Broncos. Anyways, everything that I'm saying there was Dak Prescott coming off a calf injury and them just not hitting moments that they've hit all season long. So nine is a massive point spread, but we're also going against an Atlanta Falcons defense that is unable to stop almost anyone across the league. I'm with you. When I watched that game, I thought it was going to be more concerning than what it was. It was just they missed a couple plays, a couple fourth fourth down. There was one they were about to go for, then there was a, a false start, and then they had a punt. The one throw where Dak Prescott missed CeeDee Lamb by five yards when he was wide open, that was the most tilting one. I didn't see anything like a long-term issue with the Cowboys. This this Cowboys offense should go right through it, and Vegas agrees. They're projected for the most points of the week, all the way up to close to 32 points. Uh, this could this game could even turn into a little bit of a shootout. We've seen the Falcons pass the ball a little bit more, and the Cowboys uh, might have Demarcus uh, Lawrence and Randy Gregory out. And we know that the the Falcons can't rush the passer; they're thirty first in adjusted sack rate. So it's AJ Terrell out there, and then you're starting every single Cowboy. Um, maybe not Michael Gallup in his in his return, but the rest of them you got to go. Yeah, Randy Gregory has been put on injury reserve, so he's definitely missing this game. And we've seen changes at multiple points for the Cowboys throughout the season. And this past game was going to be the first one that they were not going to have Blake Jarwin. So a team that has been so successful in 12 personnel with you know tight end screens, what were they going to do? From the outside looking in, Hayden, they ran a ton of 11 personnel. Dalton Schultz had 59 snaps. Cedric Wilson, probably because of the scoreboard, had the most wide receiver snaps at 51. Then the second tight ends really combined for just 15. So again, they went back to an 11 personnel team and like time to throw for Dak Prescott was 3.45 seconds. That's so much higher than a season high of 2.8 seconds. Things weren't open. He was holding the football. He, you know, we talked about it. They, I'm unconcerned moving forward, but if they're going to stick in 11 personnel, especially with Cedric Wilson being absent for practices multiple times per week, I do wonder how much Michael Gallup is going to play in this game. And if he's going to be, it, it's to the point though where I just truly don't like playing wide receivers coming off significant injuries, even if we might see him for 50, 60% of the snaps. Yeah, especially the soft tissue injuries, like the calf injuries. We just saw they didn't play Dak Prescott because of the calf injury. So they're going to probably take it slow. Uh, I have one stat pro football uh, or sports info solutions uh, noted that the Cowboys had a season low, just three dropbacks with two tight ends on the field. Obviously, that correlates with Blake Jarwin being out and getting Michael Gallup back. This is going to go back to the 11 personnel Cowboys, I'm pretty sure. Um, so that kind of hurts for Dalton Schultz. Like we typically like our tight ends kind of in 12 personnel. Um, 
but I think all of them will be fine. I just want to start Michael Gallup coming off off that, but we're going to see the same old, same old CD Lamb, Mari Cooper's uh, Ezekiel Elliott. And with Tyron Smith likely missing this game, I know Terrence Steele really struggled at left tackle. Brandon Thorne, Jeff Cavanaugh, some of our favorites on Twitter have hypothesized maybe they move Lyle Collins to left tackle because he did play there at LSU, and that might cement Terrence Steele at right tackle, which he did very well. And when Collins was out of the lineup, that would help a lot. I mean, I could see this being a huge Zeke game too because they oh, yeah. might be able just to maul the Atlanta Falcons' defensive line and linebackers. Um, when you talk about Atlanta's offense, because they did a really good job against a very difficult New Orleans Saints team, and you know a lot of smart people are also saying that Matt Ryan in the last couple weeks has played spectacular football, even, even without Calvin Ridley. Hayden, what say you? I agree with him. He's been just ripping it. Like he had like a 97th percentile passing EPA game the other day. He's just seeing the field very well. They're using Cordero Patterson in really unique ways where defenses are having trouble figuring out if he's a wide receiver or a running back. He'll they'll go with a little bit of pace. Their pace has kind of picked up. Now they're all of a sudden ninth before that was like a little bit closer, like 20th. And it's just harder to kind of figure out what they're going to do with Cordero Patterson. So we know that CPAT's a starter. Um, we know that the, the Cowboys defense has been kind of having a little bit more issues recently than they have uh, in the beginning of the season. And I will note the Cowboys were kind of turnover reliant in those beginning games. It wasn't just forcing a bunch of punts. It was a lot of like Trayvon Diggs pick sixes. And we know how volatile those are. I think that is going to be a shootout. I think Matt Ryan um, is probably closer to the quarterback one, two borderline than, uh, than a quarterback two and, um, it's basically just CPAT and Kyle Pitts out there. And I don't think that they, ha- I don't think that the the Cowboys have a Kyle Pitts stopper like right. the other teams that they've recently faced have had. Yeah. Michael Parsons almost certainly with Lawrence and especially Gregory and IR will certainly rush the passer a lot more. Uh, I do want to talk about Kyle Pitts because we think he's been unbelievable. Even in games where he hasn't been incredibly productive, he's, he's almost made a difference so much, but just from a pure production standpoint, because really what counts for us is actual production that's, you know, executed. In that game against the Jets in London, went off for 119 yards and a score. The next week against Miami, Hayden, it was 163 yards on seven catches. Then last two weeks, just 75 yards combined on five catches. But I want to highlight the usage because there's so much talk about this prior to the NFL season, and it's so much fun to watch him on the field. According to Graham Barfield, our buddy, Kyle Pitts leads all tight ends and targets of 10 or more air yards, again, despite that slow start to the season. And Hayden, we saw it even last week that there are times when he's covered against, you know, a linebacker, time he's covered against a corner and time he's covered against a safety. He already leads the NFL in cornerback faces against snaps um, among all tight ends. Like that is unreal stuff from a rookie tight end who's being now perceived by the opposition as a wide receiver. So he's facing more corner snaps and coverage than any other tight end in the league. And that's yes. kind of what you, what you notice on tape immediately. Like I saw some press man coverage against Marshawn Lattimore the other week, and we saw it the game prior to. So this is, he's going to have to overcome this. The good news is Kyle Pitts can overcome this. Like he is a flexible, like wide receiver and that's how, exactly how he's, he was used in the SEC. So he's gonna. There's gonna be a little bit of adjustment phase, but I think Kyle Pitts is good enough as like a pure wide receiver to win against those matchups. And I think that's gonna be a pretty game matchup dependent 
uh, formula for, for opposing defenses, not every single team could just throw a corner out on Kyle Pitts. Um, so it's going to be a pretty boom bust, I think. But like, I mean, let's just be honest here. There's just not a ceiling at tight end outside of Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Darren Waller that you get with this guy because he just wins downfield so much. So yeah, he's still a top five guy for me. And they kind of have both of these pieces. You talked about with Cordero Patterson. If you watch that game, he had two pivotal vertical shots that basically won them the game against the Saints. The first one was against Quan Alexander, a linebacker. So when you line up as a running back, you can walk out and then a linebacker walks with you. And they're like, we're going to put a defensive back on you the next time. And he did the exact same thing. Yep. And, and so when you have two movable pieces and Arthur Smith, while we gave him grief early on the season, I think it is starting to hit that stride. And it's in that post-buy realm and world that we're in right now with the Falcons. So, again, the spread is nine here. The total is absolutely lovely at 54 and a half. And with a bunch of injuries on the defensive side of the ball for Dallas, Atlanta does have a chance of putting up a bunch of points. Okay. Let's go on over to another game riddled with injuries. The five and three New Orleans Saints are on the road against the Tennessee Titans, who are three-point favorites here. Also, I still believe number one, the AFC at seven and two, the total of 44 and a half. First of all, I want to bring up that spread of minus three because Hayden, what we know from ace beat writer Nick Underhill is that Alvin Kamara is extremely doubtful to play in this game. He has not practiced all week. There is a chance that sure he might be able to play without practice, but Nick, who is as tied into a team out there as anyone notes that that seems extremely unlikely. So while we always talk about a spread being dictated by quarterbacks, more or less, it's different to me here where I don't think the spread is adjusting to the fact that the saints are without their foundation of their offense and Alvin Kamara. And without him, it might be Trevor Simeon to Mark Ingram to Marquez Calloway. And that's about it. I agree because it's an it's it's like basically they're they're explosive player like they they come down with a couple random deep balls but Trevor Simeon doesn't throw the ball deep we know that Taysom Hill can throw the ball deep but not accurately and they just don't have the wide receivers to win one on one matchups so they need someone like Alvin Kamara to kind of do some of the more explosive runs I think with him out it's just going to be Mark Ingram up the gut and it's just going to be could the Saints offensive line handle this Titans defensive line? And if you watch that Monday night football game, you know that this defensive line is not messing around, but ultimately I think that Mark Ingram is going to be playing most snaps. He's at least an upside RB two. I think that he's going to play like 70, 80% of the snaps. He knows the offense and they're going to be uh, really low in pass rate last week. Actually uh, their neutral pass rate is down at 39%. That was the lowest that it's been all year. So we know with the Saints, it's basically you can't play anybody except the running back. I wouldn't be that surprised if Sean Payton says, okay, if, if Alvin Kamara's out, we need to get Taysom Hill at quarterback to at least have something. You know, do you agree with I that? Mean, they are projected for three touchdowns without Alvin Kamara. That's ridiculous. Yeah, to who? <laughs> that yeah, is crazy. utterly, I mean, the only way they can get there is with defensive touchdowns. I mean, to, that that's absolutely wild. Again, three points. The Titans are still like we asked them to go against the Chiefs, the Bills, the Colts, all these teams. And yet we st- the Rams and every single time we're like, oh, we're going to wait to see if they're actually a legit team. They've won in so many different ways that it is criminal to me that this is only a three point spread. Um, I agree. Now, I think that's also an indication, though, of maybe where. 
the Titans offense is in relation to where we saw them earlier in parts of the season and, and what they might be this week. Cause last week they obviously won with defense, right? I mean, it was those two early, basically defensive touchdowns that got them there. We talked a lot about this backfield on the fancy usage show with Adrian Peterson getting 10 carries, Jerry McNichols getting 10 touches, Deontay Foreman just getting five carries, but having the most rushing yards. Again, I will always side with the fact that I believe that this offense is still going to evolve and we haven't seen like its final form without Derrick Henry, but this might be the game against a good Saints defense. Let's not forget that they're going to have to get there in a hurry. And uh, we, we might see it. We might see it with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Since the beginning of 2020, this was the first game that the Titans have had over a 55% neutral pass rate. So that's the highest, and it's obviously the first game without Derrick Henry. So you're going to start seeing more passes, especially if Julio Jones, who went from full down to limited in practice, if if, uh, if you get a full Julio Jones and a full uh, A.J. Brown, I think that they're going to have to uh, pass the ball more just because I didn't I didn't like what I saw from the running backs in particular AP I thought Jeremy McNichols looked the best but that's not saying a whole bunch and if you just look they averaged 4.6 yards per drop back last week 2.6 yards per carry I mean that yeah. is egregious uh football and if they, if they didn't have the the field position and those those pick sixes last week we would be talking about this Titans offense been like what what the hell happened so I'm with um, you. I, I I think that the Saints Defense is going to give the Titans problems, but still, like they have way more firepower than the Saints. Um, so I still don't understand the three point spread. I think for right now, it's just uh, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, and Ryan Tannehill. If you wanted to get cute, you can go AP, but I think that they were both under 10 expected half PPR points last week. And I think it's going to be a two back committee, um, at least until AP learns more of the playbook. I'm with you. And at this point, I don't feel comfortable starting any of them, which I think is totally fair. Um, I don't, again, I, I feel like we are just waiting for a time to write off the Titans. I'm not saying you, I'm just saying like the people at large, you know, when you look at power rankings and they cross your timeline on Twitter, but like at every turn, they accept the challenge. And I, again, a three point spread to me is not respecting this team enough. Um, but I, I, certainly understand them having to prove that they can be a quality offense and get up to 24 points without some defensive scores. The thing that could bite them is just the Titans offensive line has been pretty hit and miss They're 29th in adjusted sack rate. And we know that the saints now that they're healthier and now that they're, I mean, obviously they've always been well coached. That's like the one thing they can kind of point to the saints sticking around, but I mean, just sort by firepower, the best players on the Titans here um, on offense for sure. Yeah, definitely there. With you. Okay. Let's jump to another game with a lot of points. Six and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming off their bye. Nine and a half point favorites on the road against the Washington football team. A total of 51 and a half. Hayden, I love this over. I love this over this week. We know Tampa's going to score a lot. They scored 24 plus points in 17 of their last 18 games. Our buddy Cleve TA pointed this out and have averaged like 32 points per game this season. And I know that, you know, their defense has some pieces and Washington's offense is not like we're not in love with it, but Washington has been like this close to scoring more points and they've just failed in the red zone. They've failed on fourth downs. And so again, let me reiterate, the Bucks are coming off a bye and we know what magic has happened since they came off the bye in the 2020 season, Hayden, 
like three touchdowns per game, 300 passing yards for Tom Brady. What is he going to pull out of his hat here potentially without Chris Godwin? And we definitely know without Antonio Brown. Well, he needs to pull out a wide receiver too. That's what he needs to do. (laughs) I think it's going to be Tyler Johnson, but this is still too early in the week right now. Chris Godwin hasn't practiced. There's some rumors that Scotty Miller might be able to return, but he hasn't played in a game. He's been on the practice field, but we've seen just because you're practicing coming off IR does not mean you're going to play. If Scotty Miller's out, if Chris Godwin is out, I think that Tyler Johnson is definitely in play. Washington football team is 31st and adjusted or um, in uh, passing EPA. They're dead last against fantasy wide receivers. They're dead last against fantasy quarterbacks. And I think that Tyler Johnson in flashes has shown that he can play and be an NFL starter. We even saw that in college. I think a lot of the analytics community in particular wanted him to be drafted earlier than what he was. He's been averaging 1.4 yards per out run. That's like right in like the flex uh, wide receiver range. And I think that with the Bucks still projected for over 30 fantasy points, if you need a desperate play, Tyler Johnson's certainly going to be in the mix. Yeah, and I, I believe Bruce Arians came out and said, we're basically saving Rob Gronkowski for when we actually need him into the playoffs. Um, yeah, I mean, Washington's secondary, we know, has been an absolute mess. They have, they do not have Montez Sweat because during the bye week had that jaw surgery, and I believe he was placed on, on IR. So it's really just Chase Young, John Allen, a few other pieces along the defensive line. And then Tom, if that offensive line, as it typically does, will give him time. He is going to make one of these secondary pass catchers a wide receiver too this week. 100%. And nailing which one correctly, and you're putting your eggs in the basket of probably Tyler Johnson, that that might happen. I'm sure that he might even be chalk by the end of Sunday. Fair to say that, Hayden? Yes. And then as for the, the tight ends, because Gronk's probably out. Cameron Braid's been slightly better than OJ Howard with Gronk out, but both of them still tight end 17, tight end 20 in fantasy usage. So they're both still streamers. But if the Bucs are scoring 30 points, like what Vegas says, I mean, Mike Evans is a top five wide receiver this week if Chris Godwin's out. And then Leonard Fournette is going to be a massive, massive player as 10-point favorites. They can even get Giovanni Bernard into a couple targets a little bit more than usual. Um, But like it's Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette to the moon if they're going to score 30 points and everybody else is out. Typically out of buys, teams get healthier. That is not the case, it seems like, for Washington. Um, Logan Thomas is still sidelined. Curtis Samuel is still sidelined. One week away from football is not really going to help Antonio Gibson's stress fracture. Again, I want to read a few things, though. Again, this is from our buddy Cleve T.A. Washington has averaged six yards per play in the two games previous to their buy, but missed three field goals committed four turnovers, and couldn't convert three separate fourth downs inside their opponent's 20-yard line. Again, I'd like them to be able to put up some points enough to hit this over a 51.5. And if that's the case, not advocating for Taylor Heineke being at all anywhere near your lineup, but Terry McLaurin is the name that's absolutely going to get home, and probably J.D. McKissick, because we expect this team to be operating in negative game script. Those are the two for for me as well. Terry McLaurin, wide receiver 13 fantasy usage over the last four weeks. So right in line with like wide receiver two numbers, especially in a plus matchup. We haven't seen the Bucs play that well in the secondary since they've been so banged up. And we know that teams don't even try to run the ball. I'm on team McGissick over Antonio Gibson, who's been limited in both practices. Uh, JD McKissick's averaging 12 half PPR points on 10.3 expected half PPR points in the last three games with Antonio Gibson's 
snaps just kept decreasing. Like remember, even before the buy, he had 23 snaps. And remember they had Jared Patterson. It wasn't garbage time, Jared Patterson. That was like first drive, second drive, Jared Patterson. So I think that if you're starting Antonio Gibson this week, your team's pretty F just because we see nobody is running the ball on the Buccaneers and the Taylor Heineke led football team certainly not going to change that. I mean, Hayden, looking at some pick em lines right now on underdog, Tom Brady has an over under of 306 and a half passing yards. I mean, that's looking spicy. And by the way, if we ever get swag here at underdog, your team is pretty effed. Colin yes. Hayden Winks is, is absolutely one of the slogans that is that is being added to that. And again, both these teams are paces incredibly high. Like the Bucks are top five. We know Scott Turner, even back to his days in Carolina, is around top 10 when he's not associated to uh to Alex Smith. And speaking of Scott Turner, this stood out to me so much. Um, when asked about finding a franchise quarterback, Scott Turner said, quote, you have to be able to consistently beat guys with your arm in this league. All the other stuff is a bonus. His quarterback right now has no arm. Maybe the weakest arm in the NFL among starters with Taylor Heineke. Uh, so I'm sure he says this and mutters this to himself about 10 times every single Monday when he's reviewing the uh, the Sunday performances. And I was on actually a show today, a radio station with J.P. Finley, and he basically said that it would be a shock if Ryan Fitzpatrick returns this season. And it would be more yeah. likely Kyle Allen takes snaps than Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. So just I'm glad we're starting to finally get over that. We don't have to pretend that Taylor Heineke is like very fun as a quarterback. He's a backup. He is fun. He's you know. lots of fun. Washington football team <laughs> offense. So much fun this year. <laughs> oh, let's go to the five and three Buffalo Bills against the New York Jets. Division battle, but the Bills are 12 and a half point favorites again against the two and six Jets. Um, no touchdowns last week. For the Buffalo Bills, no touchdowns in the first half against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Greg Rosenthal wrote in the quarterback index, something that hopefully you guys all read every single week because it's a good little microcosm of where every single quarterback is heading into each contest. Um, He wrote, I'm getting feedback. There we go. That the Bills are 19th in explosive pass rate for sharp football. The development is especially worrisome considering they've played the easiest schedule of passing defenses, according to football outsiders. I know a lot of people are freaking out about the Chiefs offense. Is it time to freak out about the Bills offense, Hayden? I think it kind of depends on like what you're trying to project. If you're trying to project the Bills like as a Super Bowl contender, I think that you can start saying like we would be talking about the Bills offense if we weren't so distracted by the Chiefs. But I think in fantasy, it's a totally different ballgame just because Look at the Bills' neutral pass rate. Over the last four weeks, it's up to 74%. Second place is down at 66%. That's the Rams. Massive outlier. The Bills are passing the ball just as much as they were last season. And like I know it's the easiest schedule and stuff, but it's the freaking Jets this week, so that's going to continue. Um, the Jets aren't that feisty. I think that the, the Bills should be able to get right back on track, even though they're on the road. Um, they might get Dawson Knox back. Uh, Zach Moss is... Uh, concussions up in the air, but even if Zach Moss is out there, I think they're just going to pass the ball a ton, and I don't think they're going to have to deal with some of the the weird looks that the the Dolphins were giving them um, in the last couple weeks. I think this Jets defense a little more basic. They're still learning that defense, and this should just be like a knife through butter here. Are we overrating Emmanuel Sanders on the team? I know he's been super productive, but there is something different than last season. We talked about this a lot on the Sunday Night Show. 
instant reactions. We talked about a lot on the usage show. For some reason, Stefan Diggs just isn't doing exactly what he did last year. Cole Beasley's somewhat of the same player. They've been, you know, moving him in and out more and often with Dawson Knox emerging this year. I personally think Emmanuel Sanders is a better player than what they got from the combination of John Brown and Gabriel Davis. And if I'm going to say anything, it's that Josh Allen just isn't as pure, isn't as running as hot as he was last year when he was the best player inside of structure from a clean pocket and then transformed his game into also being one of the best 20-plus yard passers in the NFL. I think the only argument that you can make in that is that since Emmanuel Sanders is such a better deep threat than Gabe Davis, like I think Emmanuel Sanders ate out right now is like, like 18 yards. This is one of the highest in the entire league that you'd maybe like to see Stephon Diggs get a couple more of those deep ones because Emmanuel Sanders has been all up and down this year when it comes to some of those deep targets. It's made him super volatile in, in fantasy, and he's, his production has dropped. But even still, the last four weeks, uh, Emmanuel Sanders still wide receiver 32 in fantasy usage. Steph Diggs, wide receiver 24. His target share has just dropped by five points. But then Cole Beasley, wide receiver nine fantasy usage. Just because his team passes the ball, it's still so hard to not start some of these guys. If there's a tiebreaker and if you're debating between somebody else or Cole Beasley or Emmanuel Sanders, most of the time I'm just going to say start one of the Bills. Right. Uh, you can always see two of these guys with monster ceilings, especially – if Zach Moss isn't out there, they're not going to try to run between the tackles with freaking Devin Singletary. Yeah. I'm bringing this up from local beat writer for the Bills that both Dawson Knox and Spencer Brown are back. Spencer Brown is a team starting right tackle. And during that great run with the Bills last season, they were extremely healthy along the front five. We know they've been missing John Feliciano and especially Spencer Brown at right tackle. So him being out is completely massive. And quickly with Dawson Knox, Hayden, I remember back to that Chiefs game and I keep alluding to it that they dictated linebacker coverages. They dictated linebacker personnel based on him being on the field. And he's not your typical going to run three routes or three yard routes, five yards, seven yards. He'll run 12 yards, 17 yards down the field. So that adds their vertical playmaking. So if they want to be more multiple with him on the field, that is absolutely possible too. Getting Spencer Brown back would be big. There was a couple of snaps last week where the right tackle, I think is still sitting in a stance waiting. Yeah. And then that was, that's how like the game ended on that. That's third down sack to end the game. Their right tackle is just still in a, in a stance and the, the end just absolutely blew up Josh Allen. So they need some better offensive line play. That's probably is the biggest difference of why the, the team hasn't been playing as well. Um, I still think the still think that this offense could absolutely shred at any moment and against the jets. It can happen this week. Let's flip it on the other side of the ball real quick. Cause it's not very often where we say it's a good thing for our purposes when the number two overall pick is not going to play. And instead we get a late round quarterback who's been cut from a team already in our lives. But that's exactly what we want from the white guy whose name is also Mike starting against the Buffalo bills. Now quickly, the bills defense I contend and will continue to say is the defense that we should care most about when considering matchups. But what we should now be more optimistic about is Elijah Moore continuing his post by rookie bump at eight targets, seven receptions, six, 84 yards and two scores last week to go along with six receptions and 67 yards the week four. And we have seen Michael Carter get like nine targets, then 14 targets and it dropped down a little bit. If he's going to get in trouble, we know Mike White's going to play in the offense and we know he's going to dump it off to, to Michael Carter. And at least that's predictable. And we like predictable here, Hey, 
The bad news, Tevin Coleman is back. So that could take away some things for Michael Carter a little bit. I think it will affect him a little bit. I think that Michael Carter is still the one you want to play. Elijah Moore, I don't think you can play. Corey Davis is back in the lineup. The the Bills are number one in passing EPA defense, number one against fantasy wide receivers. They were rotating uh, these wide receivers around last week, everyone except for Jameson Crowder. And the reason why Jameson Crowder played 50 of 59 snaps is because he's in the slot and no one's coming for his job. Uh, even in that breakout game, Elijah Moore only ran a route on 37 of 59 dropbacks. They got Denzel Mims involved. They got Keelan Cole involved. And all those are outside wide receivers. And that's where uh, Elijah Moore has been playing at that Z role. When Corey Davis comes back, he's going to be basically an every down player at one of the outside spots. And if they use the fullback or a second tight end or any of that stuff, there's only two wide receivers on the field. I don't think that Elijah Moore is going to be in that. And even if he's in three wide receiver snaps, they've been rotating these guys. So Mm. against the number one defense at the position and with that rotation on deck, I think that you basically need to find reasons to not play these guys. And I think that the number one reason is they're playing the freaking bills. What's their expected point total this week? The jets 17 17. and a quarter. Mm. Not great. Not great. The the Jets are in this odd position. And again, this is a narrative, but it's so clear that for us on the outside, and you know inside that locker room, that they know Mike White gives them the best chance to win. Now they're bad. They're they're two and six, but they're so much better with Mike White in there. So like Zach Wilson doesn't have an injury to the degree that's going to keep him out the next eight or nine weeks of the regular season. So at what point is Robert Sala going to eat it? Meaning either he's like, okay, we're going to try to win as many games this year with Mike White, or we're going to be worse off and have Zach Wilson in there. And hopefully he has improved versus what he put out there earlier in the season. And I have no idea which direction it's going to go in. I lean playing the rookie, obviously, because this is a long game for the Jets moving forward. As the driver of the Mike White, white guy bus, I will say I think that next week when the Jets put up about six points and he gets sacked 400 times, that they're going to be like, yep, time to go back to Zach Wilson. And then this will be a great two-week story or one-and-a-half-week story. Um, I wish the white guy the best, but this is not fun right here. So this is the the end. This is the last show that we get from Mike White this season. That's what you're predicting? How? Or How or- sad. Or if it's going to be if – he, if he's back in our lives next week, that means he's probably going to be back in our lives for years to come. If he can pull off an upset or keep this game close, that, the, the white guy story is just going to be one of the biggest things. It's basically like a Jeremy Lin situation. We connect him with Sean Payton down in New Orleans and have them ride into the sunset together for the next two decades. That's what's bound to happen this offseason. Let's make it happen. Okay. A couple more games here in the 1 o'clock window. Let's quickly move on over to the two and six Jacksonville Jaguars on the road against the Indianapolis Colts, who are four and five, but 10 and a half point favorites here. Hey, a total of 47 and a half in this game. I don't have too much to say here because I think that there are just a couple of interesting pieces to potentially play. Everyone knows that Jonathan Taylor is an extreme difference maker, even though Naeem Hines last week, Hayden got a little bit more involved. In the larger sample we've seen as of late, Jonathan Taylor has been much more involved in the passing game. Hey, get an explosive guy out in space. Michael Pittman has emerged as an ex-wide receiver. And when they protect him, Carson Wentz doesn't have to move around. He can put cement blocks in the pocket and make it happen with those two names most importantly. Since week four, Carson Wentz is third in EPA per play. Third. Crazy. That's a big sample. And the, the sample includes 
when Eric Fisher has been playing much better in the last couple of weeks, remember how much he was struggling at left tackle, but that he was also older coming back from an Achilles injury. He looks better. I think the biggest reason why Eric Fisher looks better at left tackle is because left guard Quinton Nelson's back in the lineup and that's covering on his inside. And then on the, the other side, right tackle Braden Smith, who's probably their second best lineman. He's back in the lineup. So now they have their, their best, offensive line out there his play has been much better remember they were listing Carson Wentz with ankles both ankles not just one ankle that's behind him he looks like he's playing much better in Vegas is starting to notice right now guess where the Colts are ranked for most points it's up to fourth this week so this is a start everybody week I think that you can possibly who is everybody it's two names well I'm gonna go over it (laughs) <laughs> the, the the third name in particular could be Naeem Hines, but I think there's a little asterisk. Marlon Mack must be out if you're going to flirt with Naeem Hines. He had 8.3 expected half PPR points. I think that he can play above expectations against the Jaguars behind this offensive line. Both you and I are on the Naeem Hines is good at the game bandwagon. So I think that he could be a, a flex play in full PPR as long as Marlon Mack is out. But just in big picture, this Colts team, on offense, looks much better than what we have hoped. And I think it's getting to the point where they're not going to care about that first-round pick because I, I can see them saying, we might have our franchise quarterback. We might be able to crawl back into the playoff mix. Uh, they have a couple hard games, but they still have the Texans and the Jaguars on their schedule. And I think that they're just going to say, F it. Carson yeah. Wentz is our guy. He's been playing so well. We have a number one receiver. We have one of the best running backs in the league. Let's just go to see if we can make the playoffs here. Pulling up the AFC playoff picture right now, because as we know, the Titans, when they went head to head just a couple weeks ago, have basically locked in the their, their own division. But I mean, there is potential there for them. I mean, they're on the bubble right now, right behind a bunch of five and four teams like the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Browns and the Bengals. So there's just one win behind so many of those. And like you said, they are on they're on this clear path to it. And it's because the trebuchet can be dealing. He can be destructive behind that great offensive line because he's definitely not as athletic as he used to. Like when he had that MVP basically season with the Eagles, a lot of it was with his legs and he just doesn't have to do that anymore. And when he does, it goes poorly. It definitely yes. goes poorly. And he's just really comfortable. He's really comfortable in this offense. It's, it's easy to be comfortable when you're throwing up jump balls till Mr. Michael Michael Pittman. Well, He's and, just and when you can hand it off to Jonathan Taylor or dump it out to him in space and let him rumble so explosive. Um, there is some positive news here for the Jacksonville Jaguars. James Robinson returned to practice. Thank you, Mark Long. Adjust your fantasy lineups accordingly. We will, sir. Hopefully that wasn't an insult. Um, look, the Jaguars are a team that, like, despite not being good, uh, and they definitely were not good on offense, even though they won last week. Um, it has some intriguing pieces. Like we mentioned James Robinson. Jamal Agnew still going to get more targets on the Visca Chenault. And then Marvin Jones is kind of this player who's fell off a cliff. But the most bankable piece is now Dan Arnold. Yes? This is true. He is right now Dan Arnold's tight end 12 in fantasy usage. He's averaging 7.5 targets over his last four games. I don't know, man, that's tight end two streamer, at least like he might be a low end tight end one, especially in these game scripts. We've seen the Colts historically have played against tight ends very well because a lot of cover two, and they have this guy named Darius Leonard. If you ever heard of him, uh, who's right in the middle of the field. So it's not the best matchup for him, but the negative game scripts 
is certainly a good thing for Dan Arnold. Um, as of interesting with the Jaguars, I think that you and I are pretty biased here because we are number one swag new fans. I don't find this offense very intriguing outside of Trevor Lawrence. He's like hoping to have one of his wide receivers come down with the deep ball. Um, luckily, they get James Robinson back, who um, right now RB7 in fantasy usage over the last couple of weeks. Um, so it's just him basically out there for me for fantasy. Yeah, the Colts' run defense has been among the best in the NFL this season. Their pass defense has not been great. And so, Hayden, this leads me over to the Pick'em Lobby. And by the way, for all of you new players on Underdog, deposit anything, $10, $15, $59, whatever you want. Use promo code the show, and we will double your deposit. Your $20 becomes $40, whatever. You can use that. On the app store, you can use it on the website, underdogfantasy.com, and we will do that for you by using promo code the show. Trevor Lawrence, just under 230. Come on. There it is. 230 passing yards in the pick'em lobby, Hayden. I mean, that is that is something that's enticing to me. If you're gonna play that, play that with Marvin Jones. We saw Xavier Rhodes get shredded a couple couple times here, and Marvin Jones still has the air yards. Like some of his targets, like those gimme targets have kind of gone away for whatever reason, maybe because it's Dan Arnold, but he still has the air yard share. So if you're going to um, go with Trevor Lawrence, I think that Marvin Jones is, has still has the most upside. Um, it does suck that Marvin Jones, his fantasy usage has now dropped to wide receiver 36. That was closer to like wide receiver 20 earlier on, but uh, maybe that this, this game is the one that gets him going again. The JT 120 total yards in terms of rush plus receiving yards. Uh, that sounds pretty good, too, against that Jacksonville defense. That does not have Miles Jack. He continues to be out this week as well. Okay, one more 1 o'clock matchup, then we'll jump to some better games. Quickly, the 0-8 Detroit Lions are going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are only, yes, I'll say only, 8.5-point favorites here at home. They're 5-3, and three, the total of 42.5. Uh, one big injury to note here because Hayden – someone who we think has a bright, bright future ahead, even though it didn't really come into fruition necessarily this season, Chase Claypool. I mean, he exited the game. It wasn't made that big of a deal, but then it sounded like an incredibly big deal after the game to the point that Ian Rappaport had to say that, like, this isn't a season-ending injury. Like, he's going to miss multiple weeks, but that's significant, Hayden, because they've already lost Juju Smith-Schuster. We've seen Pat Fryermuth emerge as well. But if we're talking about outside wide receivers, it's now Deontay Johnson. And I guess the other one is going to be James Washington. It will be James Washington. Even when uh, after Juju left with his uh, shoulder injury, they moved James Washington into the slot, which just means that they were desperate to get him in the lineup over Ray Ray McLeod because James Washington historically is not a slot player, is an outside outside player. But the fact that they moved him into the slot tells me that he's for sure going to be the two wide receiver set player. And I think that's going to be a bigger thing to track because it seems like Eric Ebron's going to be active. So I think that you're going to see the Steelers offense probably change pretty dramatically where instead of being an 11 personnel team like they have been for years and years and years, I think their best personnel right now is 12 personnel with mm-hmm. Pat Fryermuth, Ebron, Deontay, and uh, James Washington being the starters. But this matchup for Deontay could not be any better Obviously, the Lions are dead last in passing EPA. On defense, uh, we love when wide receivers are in two wide receiver sets. That helps them out. And Deontay Johnson, just with no target competition, could he could see 15 targets here. 
um, if this game stays close at all. But even if it's not close, this offense is running through Najee Harris and Deontay, and that's basically about it. And Pat Fryermuth in the red zone and in the end zone, it's, you know, there are some rumblings that Eric Ebron might be coming back for this game. I don't know if there's any update there, Hayden. And I've seen some concern for it. I'm not. I think he's history in this offense. And I think that Pat Fryermuth is like the present and the future for that position for, for the Steelers. And with how quickly they throw the football, even when not bringing pressure like he was last week, closest to the quarterback in so many of those reads and especially those high value targets, which among tight ends is most important. He is locked in as a top 12 option moving forward for me. Yeah, I think it'll be closer to the, the tight end one to border than it has been the last couple of weeks. He does have some on off splits with Eric Ebron, but, the but same that was time, before we saw yeah, anything. But that was right. And that's what I was going to say is now we've seen it. So he, they can't take him off the field, but I still think that he's probably gonna, his snaps probably going to come down a little bit. Um, and Eric Ebron, at least in there when they're both running routes in the red zone to take some stuff away. But I think even with that, uh, Pat Fryermuth just looks like an absolute stud. And he's going to be definitely in the mix with Chase Claypool, probably out, I would say, three, two to four weeks, somewhere right in there. Um, hopefully he's back for your fantasy playoffs, but it's not looking good for him. I think it's going to be like a tur- turf toe injury. Yeah. Najee Harris was also limited in Thursday's practice. According to Roto World, this is the first time Harris has been on the injury report all season. Um, So I I would not be nervous about it at all, but we'll find out more. We'll find out more. Okay. That is the one o'clock window. Before we move on, I want to shout out everyone in the chat. You, Rob, you, Ray, you, Ron, you, Blue Spin. Obviously, Tony's here every single week with us. It warms my heart. Hey, didn't I talk about this like during the week in Slack? That it's so cool to see everyone in the chat answering each other's questions, start sits, trades, all that good stuff. If you listen to the podcast feed, we adore you. I will say the YouTube channel is slightly better. There's visuals. Everyone loves visuals. There's plays. There's news. There's tweets. There's all that good stuff. So all of you on the podcast feed or watching us right now after the fact or live, like and subscribe down below. We're still on the hunt for 10,000 subscribers and we're inching there every single day. Appreciate it. Okay. Let's get in some fun games, Hayden. And I'm about to roll the clock back 10 years here because Cam Newton, once again, is a member of the Carolina Panthers. First, to outline the game, Panthers are four and five. The Arizona Cardinals are eight and one and 10 and a half point favorites here a total of 44 and a half. But again, let's roll back the clock 10 years and let's talk about Cam Newton rejoining this team. Go through a few news items first because this is not the veteran minimum that Cam Newton signed up for, Hayden. He was still owed a million and a half dollars by the New England Patriots. The Panthers are basically giving him $7 million for the rest of the season. And if he brings them to the Super Bowl, don't rule it out. It's Superman here. $10 million for the rest of the year. Uh, it is pretty hilarious how we got to this point, though, when talking about Cam Newton making his return, which we never see this among big-time quarterbacks across the league. Once they leave, they're gone. But as we all remember, it was a bad exit. It really was for Cam Newton and his time in Carolina. Do you remember, like, the team announced that he asked to seek for a trade. And he's like, no, I didn't. I never did that. That was less than like a year and a half ago. Season in New England, move over to Teddy Bridgewater, 
who then they're still paying with the Denver Broncos, move over to Sam Darnold, give up multiple draft picks. And here we are all the way back here with Cam Newton on the Panthers. I'm going to ask this basic question again, Hayden Winks, your immediate reaction. I think he's not going to play this week. He'll be back for week 11. I think that that money was significant enough where we should probably project Cam Newton to play the rest of the year. Like even if Sam Darnold's healthy and Cam Newton's healthy, I think that they're going to ride Cam Newton out as long as he's playing kind of well. But going back to this preseason when he was battling against Mac Jones, I thought Cam Newton looked fine. He wasn't incredible, but I think that the big difference between Cam Newton right now versus what we saw Cam Newton late last year is he's healthy enough right now. We always talked about this, you in particular, about that shoulder. The more he uses it, the more it acts up. Well, he hasn't thrown a football in a long time. That shoulder hopefully can stay healthy for the next six weeks. And we saw how Sam Darnold was able to use his legs a little bit. He has his guy, Christian McCaffrey, in the lineup for checkdowns. And this wide receiver trio, as long as Robbie Anderson can get his stuff together, is a little bit better than Cam Newton's been used to for like the last four or five, six years, even the Super Bowl year. So I think that he's, he can be a quarterback too later on. I picked him up in a, a super flex league immediately. And I think that he can be kind of serviceable. The one problem though is like this offensive line is not getting any better. And that's, he's going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to see how much he's willing to use his legs. But if we just got the same Cam Newton that we got last year, but he's a little bit healthier this season, I think he can be a top 20 fantasy quarterback. I know we need to talk about this game, but if you don't mind. this game. This game doesn't matter. I'd, I'd like to dive into this a little bit more because, again, this is something that is so rare that happens. And Cam Newton was so much fun and so entertaining. And I think that, honestly, that's part of the reason why the Panthers made this move is, is because they were just going into the depths of this season. Like, it was almost to the point of no return. While it started off so positively – you make the trade for Stefan Gilmore to be competitive. The defense is still top five with Shaq Thompson back there. And, you know, they're, they're still pressuring quarterbacks and they're electric and they're aggressive and, and they're athletic. The offense was going in a total tank. And that was with Sam Darnold. And now that was without Sam Darnold. You bring in Matt Barkley, you have PJ Walker as a starter. I mean, in wins and losses, Hayden, it was still going to like be 30 carries for or 30 touches for Christian McCaffrey. That's where we were headed. And so at least from like a entertainment standpoint, like, why be bad and miserable when you can be intriguing and potentially better? And I understand from like a you know team building standpoint, you want to lose as many games as you can when you're bad so you can get better draft picks. But they're four and five. You know, they're not going to be the worst team in the NFL. And they're gonna so hunt for the playoffs, man. They're gonna hunt they for the are. playoffs. And I, I I want to bring that up because that's truly another part of this. The the NFC is gross at the top it's amazing but once once we get outside of that hayden it it gets dicey like we talked about those what top five teams in arizona green bay tampa bay dallas and los angeles then after that you have teams with five wins the new Orleans saints four wins the atlanta falcons carolina panthers so after those top five a bunch of teams are competing for the two other spots and the Panthers are right there. And if Cam, if Cam, just with the shoulder, if we get August and September shoulder Cam versus typical November, December Cam, just do enough. Put up 21 points a game and you have a chance. 
Yeah, he put his galaxy brain on. He said, well, my shoulder is only available for two two months. What if I just wait until halfway through November and then I can ride this thing out? They're a half game out of the playoffs, a half game. And they're chasing the freaking Falcons, who they still play this year. Like, I, I love this move to try to get them into the playoffs. They're in quarterback purgatory no matter what. They really should have just drafted, you know, Justin Fields or Mac Jones instead of the corner. The corner is going to be good. But, like, they they had the, the problem solved right there. Um, but now that they were in this situation, this season was over with PJ Walker or injured Sam Darnold. Might as well. And like he, it's came at a cheap enough deal. Um, good for, for Cam Newton to come back here. I think it, it's exciting. And even if it doesn't work out, I think it's still a, a feel good story for this freaking Panthers franchise for Cam Newton. Hopefully that he can end his career, whether that's a, as a backup. But I think like there's even a slight chance that next year we've seen what this quarterback market is. If they can't get one of the big guys, we talked about all that, all the, the, how bad this, um, this quarterback classes, like there's a chance that he can come out there and be the starter next year. I don't think that Sam Darnold is going to be the Panthers starter next year. So we'll see. I mean, we don't know his health status, but the fact that he got signed is just, it's, it makes this team exciting. Like this week they were projected for like the 27th most points. Yeah. And Awful. a lot, a lot had to be buried here because as soon as Matt rule took over as a start, we were as the head coach, we were there at the combine when he's like, Oh, Cam's our quarterback. A month later, he was not, um, yep. They had to bury the hatchet and, you know, he spoke to Matt rule on Monday, then David Tepper, Scott Fitter, the new general manager and Stephen Drummond, who's a great executive and former PR guy. Who's very close with cam all met with cam today. And I'm sure that they had to have like an open conversation about it. So like good on the Panthers in for doing this good on cams in for, you know, accepting that this is possible, like moving on from such a negative moment that it was, to, to, to getting to, to getting to this point. Now, this is a much different Cam Newton that is returning than what we previously saw, like during those electric years. And by the way, Cam's first start, it's not happening this year, but his first start ever in the NFL, he threw for four, over 400 yards against the Arizona Cardinals. So I wish it would have been a perfect Hollywood moment for him to make his return against the Panthers, this against the Cardinals this weekend. But he doesn't throw it on the field anymore. Like he's just not good in that area anymore. And I also want to throw out there, Hayden, the Panthers just lost their starting center and starting left tackle in Matt Paradis and Cameron Irving. So, like, this is an even worse spot than when Sam Darnold, the environment that Sam Darnold had been playing in for the last seven or eight weeks. Cam should, as punishment, make uh, Matt Rule and Tepper wear, like, the rompers that he wears, like that top hat, as punishment for the game for getting rid of them when they should have kept him around. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see. If he's healthy, he's healthy. I think that this is a net win for DJ Moore. And Christian McCaffrey, I think that a healthy or a relatively healthy Cam Newton is better than an injured Sam Darnold and better than PJ Walker. So uh, this week, it's you can't upgrade him because he's not going to play. But moving forward, I think that this is a slight win for DJ Moore. It can't get any worse than it was with Robbie and with DJ because DJ started electric. And then it got down to the point where he was getting like six targets, four receptions and 60 yards. And that was like the absolute ceiling that that we could get. So I'm expecting a little bit more than that. And one final thought. I always believe that, you know, these highly rated and highly evaluated quarterbacks just always had some type of currency attached to them. And even though Sam Darnold sucked and we talked about it, he sucked in the Jets. They were still able to get a second round pick for him. I mean, the Panthers got a six round pick for Teddy last last draft season. It might get to the point now they're still on the hook for $15 million for his, you know, fifth year option. 
I wonder if they have to like attach a good draft pick to that for another team to take it on if they go after another quarterback this summer. Why did they do this fifth year option, man? Like they could have just traded for him. Like was well, it like that made no it, sense to me. It didn't make much sense. Um, and I also think that there's a much longer conversation we'll have it at some point about this team's ability to evaluate the quarterback position as of late because they're back where they could have started from. And I, I do think Cam is healthier now than he probably was at that time, and and that was a major factor. But you go and just cut Cam to Teddy. You're not happy with Teddy, but you still pay him. And then you get Sam. Sam starts off fine. Sam goes on IR because he absolutely sucks, and then you're back to Cam. It's fun. It's a fun circle. This is a new – we talk about it all the time. Hollywood and football recycle storylines. This is a new one. And you'd love to see it. Okay, should we talk about this game at all? On Carolina's end, we expect 25 touches for Christian McCaffrey. Most importantly, what stands out to me, Hayden, a 10.5-point spread signifies that Kyler Murray is going to play in this game. Kyler Murray has still been absent all week long, as has DeAndre Hopkins. I believe he's still dealing with a high ankle sprain, isn't he, Hayden? So that's a one- to three-week injury. I think Kyler can still play even if he doesn't practice. And I know Colt McCoy and Cliff's offense and James Conner shredded the San Francisco 49ers last week. But this defense, one, is better than the 49ers one that's out in the field. And 10.5, again, indicates to me that Vegas believes Kyler is playing. Well, you can't bet this game. According to Pinnacle, and that's where I kind of look for some of the odds, uh, you can't bet this game. So this is very much in the air. Uh, A.J. Green's back, but you had Rondell Moore on the concussion list and with a neck injury. Uh, DNPs for all those guys, including Kyler and DeAndre. I would expect – I think that uh, Kyler has a better chance of playing than DeAndre Hopkins. We'll see on the Sunday show. But right now, this this is basically – we know James Conner's getting the rock a million times, and outside of that, it's a big question mark. So what did the offense look like with Colt McCoy last week? I, I looked this up. It was shortest time to throw in the NFL at 2.37 seconds, coupled with the lowest intended air yards per attempt, meaning it was a bunch of screens, which we saw to James Conner. It was a bunch of screens to like Christian Kirk and Rondale Moore. They had some really cool, creative things that they did on, on the outside. Um, but along with this, Rondale Moore is also dealing with a head injury and a concussion and is no bet to play in this game either. So that throws another wrinkle into this whole thing. Yep. Welcome to Sunday. We'll have it all sorted out by then. It's like it's, this game, you can't, I mean, you can't even talk about this game. There's too much things going on. Okay. Well, one more thing. Hey, and I think we all should right, still keep believing and hyping up Cliff Kingsbury as coach of the year, because this is some really sweet blocking that Steven Ruiz of the ringer put out there. Like, as you can see, and I'll rewind it to here. Typically, when the wide receiver is motioning out like this, he might be the one who's getting the football and the linebacker is tracking him on this defense. But how they have it set up is basically two on the outside is versus two of these blockers, including the motion man. And Rondale is the one who's dropping back into the backfield. And so that forces the linebacker who was already at a disadvantage in terms of his positioning, having to catch up with one of the fastest wide receivers in the game and can't get him to the edge. And so that's a nice eight-yard gain here. These are, again, little wrinkles that we're seeing every single week from Cliff Kingsbury that's making me say, I understand why we doubted you at first, but it's all working this season, even without your top quarterback and your top playmaker. So I would have right. loved Cliff Kingsbury play calling at USC. It would have just been the best. Okay, Let's talk about a game we are allowed to talk about, apparently. The Minnesota Vikings, a total of 53, go to the Los Angeles Chargers. 
Chargers three point favorites, and they are five and three on the season. Um, we know how the Vikings ended that game in the overtime loss against the Baltimore Ravens last week. Lamar was nearly perfect through the final drive of the first half into the second half and into overtime. And I actually coupled his passing chart, Hayden, with what Justin Herbert put out there on the field last week against the Philadelphia Eagles, because it was very similar to hyper-efficient quarterbacks who were dominating in the short to intermediate levels. I mean, Justin Herbert went 32 or 38. Unbelievable stuff. And so this Minnesota team struggling to rush the passer. I think Justin Herbert is going to have another one of these awesome bounce back weeks versus what we saw against Baltimore and New England and do a really good job against Mike Zimmer's Vikings defense. Totally with you. I like this over. I like a bunch of points here. This is, I think, the fantasy matchup of the week. And I think that that's why I have uh, Mike Williams as my Benji of the week because I think that this is going to be finally the game where they do not have a corner that can shut him down. This is not a defense that they haven't seen before. Justin Herbert should be ready. There's no Pat Pete. There's no Daniel Hunter. This Vikings defense is well coached, but that only gets you so far. You need legit players out on the field. And there's some other guys that are on uh, the practice reports with DNPs, including a defensive tackle and a linebacker. This could be a game where the Chargers offensive line can hold up, especially on that right side of the ball. And they can just start delivering the ball to Keenan Allen underneath and Mike Williams on -on one-on-one situations. I think Mike Williams, now that he's not on the injury report, he is at uh, upside wide receiver two. If you want to call him a wide receiver one, I'm open to that. I think that this is a game where you want to start everybody on both sides of the ball. I'm not going to be surprised if this is the high scoring game of the week. I'm I'm right there with you. And the games that we saw Justin Herbert struggle this season, again, against the Ravens and against the Patriots, it was five sacks combined in those games, 27 combined pressures. It's important to note how great the offensive line played last week against the Philadelphia Eagles, another really talented pass rushing group. They allowed just six pressures, Hayden, six pressures. That's the lowest since week one. And it's with some backup offensive linemen in there. And as we just talked about, it's really just Everson Griffin who can rush the passer on the Vikings right now because Danelle Hunter is, is out for the season. I'm looking at the pick lines right now. You are going Mike Williams as your Benji of the week. I am going with Keenan Allen Let's as my go. Benji of the week. Keenan has a pick line of 79.5 receiving yards. Mike Williams, 63.5 receiving yards. Maybe I'm not giving enough credit to this Vikings team that's been a roller coaster each and every game each and every week. But I just think when you give Justin Herbert time, maybe we're not getting those beautiful outside of that one play to Mike Williams last week of 49 yards, but he's going to take what the defense gives him and shred you. Absolutely shred you. He also can hit him over the top, even if he doesn't have to take the check downs. Like I think that he was taking the check downs out of necessity, but I think both of you, both of us can get there when it comes to our Benji calls, because the chargers are fifth in fantasy usage to wide receivers and the Vikings are, are 26th against fantasy wide receivers of their own. So this is going to be a week. I hope that you didn't trade Mike Williams or do something stupid like that. Bet on Mike Williams, bet on Keenan Allen, bet on Justin Herbert. And also you can probably bet on Austin Eckler with the Vikings ranking 31st in rushing EPA. So this is a start everybody week on both sides of the ball. Yeah, as we talked about in the usage show, the Vikings got crushed by that Marquise Brown slant flat RPO with Rashad Bateman. Chargers don't really run that very often, but I'm sure they're going to figure out a way to get some yards after catch opportunities for someone out there. Um, difficult week for the Vikings offense. 
Um, what night was it? Was it Wednesday? Was it last night with Dalvin Cook, Adam Schefter? No, that was Tuesday night. Adam Schefter throwing out a report. A lot more details have come out since. There are 100% two sides of the story with Dalvin Cook and the woman who's also involved. Um, do you want to say anything about that, Hayden, before we move on and talk about just the offense at large for the Vikings? Sure. I just like like waiting for the details to come out and the process to go right. through. Right now, for the NFL's perspective, they're not doing anything disciplinary for him because the case is still ongoing. We just learned about this. Dalvin Cook said he's going to play. He's been cooperating with the NFL. We'll see what happens. The details of it do not look good. I will not be surprised if there is a suspension coming up. I don't know if that's going to be this year or if it's going to be next year, but that's like the, the seriousness of the allegations. There's a thread in the fantasy blueprint. If you want to uh, look at the legal implications of this, but for right now, Dalvin cook is going to play this week. His matchup is very good, but long-term shirt sure, certainly want to keep a track of, of this one. The, the details in this were serious enough where this could be a suspension at some point. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And I'll also add that I think we all got a window into how the sausage is made from an NFL media standpoint where agents so often insiders are reliant on them. And um, I think Hayden, what he said was perfect in that we should always wait for more information to come out when something as serious like this happens and more information is, and again, go check out that link thread that Hayden is talking about. Um, anything on Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen against a Chargers defense. And again, a, run defense that has been shredded by so, so, so many teams. At the core of it, this game might be settled by which defense can get two or three stops, and that's the winner. There's some Chargers defensive notes. Um, Michael Votto-Davis is dealing with a hamstring injury. Uh, Nasir Adderley, he's with an injury as well. Neither practice on Wednesday. They might get Asante Samuel back. He was back in full from his concussion. So uh, last week we saw the Chargers defense not – at full health, they got a little bit exposed uh, by Devonta Smith. We can see kind of the, the same thing happen with Justin Jefferson. Um, Jefferson's not be getting the targets that we'd want to this year, but he's still just the, I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the league. Um, so I think that it'll be totally fine. If Michael Davis uh, and Nasir Adderley were both uh, active, I'd have some concerns, but without them out there, I think that this is a start everybody week. Sorry. The Chargers website isn't great for showing on stream because it's white and blue. But yeah, Asante Samuel, who missed last week with a concussion, is a uh, is a full participant. But Michael Davis is still uh, DNP, and I believe the Vikings OC or wide receivers coach or someone said we have to get the ball to Justin Jefferson more often. Yeah, you think? Um, oh yeah. Again, Devontae Smith, I think only had six targets last week, caught all six, and was a huge difference maker because when we get the Eagles in a moment, he's going to pass the ball that often. So there's still an opportunity to get there even without a ton of volume, but uh, we would like 12 targets for Justin Jefferson. That'd be a lot of fun. 15. Throw the ball Easy game. <laughs> okay. Seattle and green Bay. Uh, the case of two returning quarterbacks, three and five Seattle. I wonder why Odell didn't sign there. 49 and a half total. And also for the Packers seven and two and their three and a half point favorites at home. Okay. So really the last two starts and last two games for the Packers, Hayden, we've seen one on Thursday night football against the Arizona Cardinals. They didn't have Devontae Adams. And last week, Devontae Adams returned, but then we got Jordan Love and they really, really, really struggled on offense against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So are we allowed to hit the reset button after multiple weeks and ask, 
should we expect everyone that we expect to typically do well to perform against the Seattle Seahawks defense? We're getting everybody back because we got MVS back last week. He was a part-time player. He played behind Alan Lazard last week. But I think that you're going to see the full uh, Packers offense, like the week one through three Packers offense. And I think that this Seahawks defense, I just don't think it's very good. Like, like who are their, their secondary pieces? It's just not – I'm not that threatened. They're 28th in adjusted sack rate. Uh, biggest news, I think, is – well, not the biggest news, but David Bakhtiari is coming back. It looks like they acted, activated him off uh, injured reserve from his ACL injury. He's going to go into left tackle. That kind of puts the rest of this offensive line has been in the rotation into their correct spots. I think this is, we know who to start here. If you want to get really cute, you can go MVS. Remember, there's no Robert Tunyon, so somebody's going to get some of those targets. But I think it's Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers. If you want to get cute, it can be MVS. If you want to get really cute, it can be AJ Dillon, but Dillon's still the RB 44 uh, fantasy usage over the last four weeks. Okay. Flipping to the other side, if, if that one is somewhat defined, let's talk about Seattle's passing game. And again, I want to re- reiterate, it's been kind of easy to say, well, Seattle, of course, are not supposed to win without Russell Wilson. Uh, they weren't fun or good before then, really. Like they were going through some, Major, major struggles. And obviously we've been starting DK Metcalf, but one of like the core principles of the Seattle team is just the cohesion of Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett down the field. So this should give us some more hope for Tyler Lockett to get home and get more volume and get that one or two opportunities down the field to, to make good on. But we also just don't know the true health of of Russell Wilson for this game against a Packers defense that I think is improving a little bit each and every week. Yeah, the Packers have been playing better than we would have expected, and they're they're due to get some players back for the playoffs. That's something to keep in mind if you're looking at odds to win the NFC and that type of thing. Um, But yeah, it's a total unknown with Russell Wilson's finger. I would guess that he'd be pretty much ready to go, but we've seen the pass rates go all over the place, their pace go all over the place. And this could be a very slow-paced game in general because the Packers are always slow-paced. So in theory, I think on paper, you can say that there's some shootout risk because both quarterbacks are so good. But I think that both, like their identities, they kind of like want this game to be 24 to 21, somewhere around that. Um, But we'll see. I think that it's the good news is there's not a number three wide receiver for the Seahawks. They're not throwing to their tight ends. We might get Chris Carson back, but really it's just – starting Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And I think that you can probably count on one hand how many times somebody sat DK Metcalf this year and Tyler Lockett. Those guys are in the lineups every single time they're healthy. Okay, let's close out this 4 o'clock window. Just three games left. Uh, The 3-6 and Philadelphia Eagles go on the road to the Denver Broncos, who just put a whooping on the Dallas Cowboys. Despite that, just two-and-a-half-point favorites here at home. They are 5-4, and and the total here is at 45. Can we start on the Eagles offense? Let's do it. Don't mind. Um, because this Eagles offense has changed a lot in the last couple weeks. In the first five weeks of the year, 36 passing attempts on average for Jalen Hurts. The last four, it's dropped by 13 down to 23 attempts. Jalen Hurts is now 13th in the NFL in rushing yardage. And Hayden, it makes sense because this is where they're at their best offensively. It is. It's just so crazy to see the exact 180. They're dead last in neutral pass rate after being number one earlier. It's just, yeah. it's, and that like exactly corresponds with Miles Sanders being out, which makes another no, no sense there too. So 
I guess you can try to get cute with Jordan Howard, but it's kind of an unpredictable game. I do have the Eagles as my underdog of the week, and I think that this is probably my least favorite underdog of the week all year. I was struggling. I couldn't find a good one, but I do want to run through some of the injuries that the Broncos have. Yes, they get Jerry Judy back, and that's the only thing anybody wants to focus on. Same with Noah Fant, but Garrett Bowles, uh, Patrick Sertan, Bryce Callahan, A.J. Johnson, Josie Jewell, uh, Bradley Chubb, they just traded Von Miller. That's a lot of their best players, and they're all not going to play this week. So I have the Eagles winning a scrappy game here. But once again, this was not my favorite underdog of the week, but by default, I'm rocking with the Eagles. Yeah, I, I understand why it might not be your favorite because it's never fun really to watch the Eagles on Sundays right now. Like Devontae's been winning all season long, but he only gets six targets as we talked about. Like Jalen Hurts is a gamer, but at times they just struggle to continue drives until second halves and and fourth quarters. And I think in order for the Eagles to win, they're really going to have to disrupt Teddy Bridgewater. Um, to your point, left tackle Garrett Bowles is doubtful. Starting right tackle, Bobby Massey. Massey is, is also out. And so Hayden, while you might hate it, we're on this trip together, my friend. This is also oh, my God. underdog of the week because on top of that, the Broncos are bottom third in the NFL in defending the run. So if we have this new identity shift for the Eagles offense, and it also lines up perfectly where the Broncos are at their weakest, their linebackers, their defensive linemen, why not? The formula is there and let's ride with it. The reason why the Broncos are bad on against the run is because they're so light in the box. Like Vic Fangio, yeah. like this, this too high thing, Vic Fangio is the king of, of that he's the og of running that they're super light in the box and on top of that they're two edge rushers gone they're two linebackers josie jewel aj johnson both gone they're not going to be putting guys into the box uh, and if they do i, I like devonta's chances of winning one-on-one matchup so this is a styles make fight scheme you have the the run first eagles all of a sudden built from the trenches against a team that's daring you to do that we'll see what happens and I know that Dallas Goddard's volume necessarily and opportunity isn't there. Again, six targets, seven targets, five targets in each of the last three games. But if you're looking at it from a talent standpoint, he could have a huge game this week. Yes. He really, I mean, he could get over, you know, the 72 yards in, in week eight. That is a season high. And that might only have to take, you know, five catches to do it because he is just so much more talented than the linebackers that he might be facing, especially if we run a whole bunch of, play action with the Eagles offense. Okay, go ahead. Uh, God has been playing in the slot a little bit more, 29% target. So if they ever have to pass the ball or they go back to yeah. the pass, he's going to go off. And quickly on Devontae Smith, I think it's so difficult to know like when a Devontae Smith game is going to happen because it's just if the targets are catchable and if he brings them down because he is creating separation everywhere, every single week. So nothing has changed for him. It's just being targeted. And then if defensive backs knock the ball away, like that's the only difference. And that's what makes it so, so unpredictable. So yeah, Devonta Smith is shredding in my Matt Harmon reception perception league. We'll get there. We'll get there this summer. Okay. Quickly on the Broncos end, because we've seen some players come back for them. We saw Tim Patrick have a huge week last week. Jerry Judy continue to play again. I, I think the best thing that Teddy is doing and that offense in general is not turning the football over. He's not throwing interceptions as a whole. They are not fumbling. Um, but without all of those offensive linemen, we know Teddy, since those magical first two or three weeks, is not nearly as good against disruption. And the Eagles absolutely have some interior and edge pass rushers as well. 
Yeah, I think just the big story with the Broncos is just it's a volume concern. Same thing with the 49ers offense. When you have this many good players, but the quarterback isn't that great and you play with pace and you are like on paper a defensive minded team and all that stuff, it just gets hard. And like no bigger example than Cortland Sutton right now in the three games with Jerry Judy, including week one, the last two weeks, he's averaging 3.9 expected fantasy points, 3.9 Cortland Sutton. And then without him, that was all the way up to 13.4. I'm not expecting those splits to be that drastic, but just in general, like the last four weeks, Cortland Sutton, wide receiver, 41 expected fantasy points, Jerry Judy, wide receiver, 51, and then Tim Patrick, wide receiver, 65. And that includes the game that Noah Fant wasn't even active. So it's just so hard for this offense to know which one is going to be the guy. I think right now, all of them are rotating. I don't think that Jerry Judy's light years better than Cortland Sutton. I actually think that Tim Patrick is closer to that tier than he is like a backup wide receiver. Tim Patrick can actually play guys and I don't expect him to get phased out. So this is a a game where like, I'm looking at the Broncos and I think that if you're starting any of these guys, you're like pretty low floor yikes kind of situation. Yeah. And look, this Philly defense has been vanilla. It's been kind of awful all season, but they're another one of these teams that wants to prevent big, big plays. And again, we saw Justin Herbert kind of just shred them underneath all week and if if Teddy can do that, I mean, that's like the name of his game, potentially that that can work. But again, I just think that there's going to be so much more disruption more often than than he's used to dealing with. Okay. Primetime games? Primetime games. Before we get there, everyone that has never played an underdog fantasy changed that right now. And it's our best promotion ever. Put in 10 bucks, 20, 40, 90. We will double it. Go to pick them. Do that. Play Battle Royale or... Hail Mary, any of those, go and try out Underdog Fantasy. And by the way, on pick them, pick five correct, you 20x your money. So turn $10 into $200 by just picking five correct. And always check out that Rivals tab as well. Again, use promo code the show, and we will double your first deposit from the App Store or on desktop. Here we go. Primetime slate. Five and four, Kansas City Chiefs. Two and a half point road favorites against the Las Vegas Raiders, who are five and three, a total of 51 and a half. Lots of conversation about the Kansas City Chiefs, who are apparently in on Odell Beckham. Hayden, we've kind of gone along with it in the last few weeks, at least I have, I'll speak for myself, where I don't know how much of Patrick Mahomes' game has changed other than the turnovers that are popping up more often now. I simply believe the individuals are winning less often, namely Travis Kelsey. And then Tyreek Hill is the only outside receiver that threatens on anything. And that's really the core difference here with the Chiefs offense. It's a story that we talk about each and every week. But here in week 10, that's where I'm at. Mahomes also missed some throws and he's, I don't think, seeing the field as well. There's a couple of plays where like Travis Kelsey's wide open over the middle, but I agree. Like there's even sometimes with Travis Kelsey having the ball, he's kind of like slipping over and like he's dropping some passes. And everyone's just kind of playing at like 80% of their ability. And their second and third wide receivers are like bottom 10 in yards per route run. None of them could beat one on one coverage. Um, so it's not just a cover two problem. But I will say that I think on paper, this is a pretty good matchup against the Raiders, who have been in chaos. Their uh, secondary players right now are not very good outside of Casey Hayward. The Raiders are also uh, 30th in percentage or the amount of snaps that they've played in a too high shell. Gus Bradley is a cover one, cover three king. 
that's probably what they're going to do. And then if that, if the cover two is the problem, that'll be solved. I don't even think it's going to be that. I think that the chiefs have enough. The two guys could beat what the Raiders have in those one-on-one matchups. And I think that this could be a get right spot. Uh, We've seen that the markets have finally adjusted to the chiefs where they're not projected for nearly as many points as they were either last year or coming into this game. And I think that this might be the perfect spot to, to buy the dip and ride with the chiefs here. We're also of the opinion. I'm right there with you with exactly what you just said, that Daryl Williams is not as good as CEH. And we're not, you know, promoting Clyde Edwards Elaire as a top 15 running back in the NFL, but just looking at the team's rushing totals when CEH was involved earlier in the season, it's simply better. And that's oh yeah, undisputable. Um, it sounds like CEH could be somewhat nearing a return. He's been practicing. Eric Bieniemy, the OC, said he has looked great. He still remains on injured reserve, but that could change here in the near future. Again, long-term injuries for skill position players, not something that we love, but Hayden, these backs are still getting a ton of volume, not just in the running game, but also in targets behind the line of scrimmage. And we have to, we have to be curious and conscious of that with CEH once he returns to the lineup. Daryl Williams led all running backs last week in expected fantasy points, all, all the way up to 20.8 half PPR points. So if Daryl Williams is act, active, you're playing him. Or if Clyde edwards helaire is active, you're playing him. I think, like, really, like, I mean, I hate to say this, but I think the Chiefs just need to at least be a threat to run the ball. And Derek Gore and Daryl Williams are just not that threatening. So I think that Clyde edwards helaire just being back is at least enough of a, of a threat to maybe open this offense a little bit back up so we'll be tracking it i would say he's probably 50 50 to play here um but i think that the chiefs to beat the cover two just running with a little bit of power it doesn't have to be repetitive but just at least threatening with it in certain situations would go a long way raiders end there's been some changes on this team as well so in the last two games week seven Derek carr who at one point this year was leading the NFL in 20-plus yard passing attempts. His intended air yards in week seven was five. In week nine, after their bye week, it was 6.2. I mean, that is a drastic change where in the average before those games was around nine, Hayden. So it makes sense why they, on paper, bring in a vertical, quote-unquote, playmaker, at least someone who threatens defenses with, Deshaun Jackson, how do you think that that signing can impact the players around him? Because I don't expect Deshaun Jackson to put up Henry Ruggs numbers, but in theory, it could potentially help Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and a few others. I mean, there's a reason why Deshaun Jackson has that Will Fuller effect where every single quarterback plays better with him on the field, even if he's not being the number one. So I think it's the perfect signing. I think that for fantasy, uh, it doesn't really matter for for, for Hunter, Hunter Renfro. I don't think it matters that much for Brian Edwards. I think he's coming for that Zay Jones spot. Zay Jones played a bunch of the snaps last week. That's going to be Deshaun Jackson. I'm not sure if that's going to be this week or down the line, but that's kind of where this is going to go. I think it's ultimately going to help Derek Carr. I think it's going to be, be a little bit better for Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller's efficiency, but we're not going to really see anything directly from this. But I think this was a must-get signing for the Raiders if they want to kind of stay in contention for the AFC West is like, I think the chargers are ascending. I think the chiefs will start getting better too. Uh, they needed somebody like this. Can't just be Zay Jones and Brian Edwards out there. They needed a legit speedster and they got it. 
Yeah, they tried to throw this double move down 16 to 20 with like about five minutes left. Derek Carr was a pump fake to the outside, tried to throw it over the top, and the safety just was not concerned. Yeah. And then as soon as the ball was let go, just was able to undercut it and and intercept it. With Darren Waller, I mean, I know a lot of people, and I don't blame you, don't watch the Raiders every single week, but that, again, week one game on primetime stands out with 19 targets. And then last week was the closest we've gotten to that. And that was just 11 targets. Could we ever see another, you know, 14, 15 target game? Because I've watched this offense and I can't necessarily explain why he's not being targeted more often. And I also think Hayden, where they're getting to is maybe at their best last week, it was the offensive line as gross as the sounds blocking for Josh Jacobs. And then Josh Jacobs making people miss at like the second level. And I'm a little nervous that they might start leaning to that a little bit more too. I mean, which tight end is getting 11 targets? Like, there's not many. Like, I will take I will take my Darren Waller 11 targets and That's get true. out of there. Uh, yeah, I think that this offense hasn't really changed that much from last year and this year. It's like basically the same blueprint to me. Uh, I think that they're going to have to try to decide if they want to take advantage of the Chiefs' lack of run stopping. But at the same time, the Raiders' offensive line has not been playing that well. I haven't watched last week's game, but they're 29th in rushing EPA on the ground. So we'll see. I just think that Derek Carr has just been playing so well. And Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro are just such good players in that exact role that they should hang with the Chiefs. But I'm not going to yeah. be surprised if the Chiefs' offense just explodes for 30-plus points here. Of course. You know, so that's common for the Chiefs. That's like, no, I'm kidding. It, it could absolutely happen in this game. Um yeah. It, these teams going through these changes right now is, is, and for the AFC West, I mean, this could really, with the AFC being so competitive in that area right now, I mean, one of these teams is obviously going to have six wins and the other one just stays at that five mark. Okay. Let's finish off with Monday Night Football. The Los Angeles Rams, four point favorites on the road. They are seven and two, total of 49, going to San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, against the 49ers who are three and five. We just got dominated by the Arizona Cardinals. We just posted a full stream, full video on the Odell Beckham signing. If you all want to check that one out, Hayden at large, where are we at with the Rams offense against a 49ers defense that put on one of the worst tackling performances of the season last week against the Cardinals? Yeah, I think the 49ers defense is about to get really exposed right now that they're 27th in passing EPA on defense. They really just haven't been able to rush the passer that much. They're 25th in adjusted sack rate because they're basically just playing with four down players and that's it. And I don't think that they have the secondary to kind of hold up against this many good passing options. So I think the Rams, uh, I was pretty surprised to see that the Rams are projected for just the 10th most points this week. Ooh. That doesn't make too much sense to me. I thought that should be a little bit higher, even though they're on the road, division game, all that stuff. I just don't see the 49ers. It's like Fred Warner and Nick Bosa. And like after that, it's like right, not a whole lot. How the Rams were dominated last week by the Titans was them getting bullied along the defensive line, the offensive line. Um, like their offensive linemen couldn't hold up to Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons. Well, you mentioned the 49ers have a still healing, I think, Nick Bosa, but they don't have... Javon Kinlaw in the middle, like they aren't nearly, and this is going to sound crazy playing as well as the Titans are along their defensive front. So I would expect I mean, Daryl Henderson dropped in and out. We don't have that many updates on that right now, but I would expect the Rams to, 
to top this 26 and a half projection this week. Totally with you. I think that you should start all these guys. Um, keep in mind, definitely have Sonny Michelle rostered. Like we're going to say at every single show, have right. that on your roster for sure. It could be like the key that unlocks the fantasy season as we move along the final few weeks if something happens to their lead back. Uh, again, we had a full video on Odell Beckham. I did not bring this tweet up from Diana Rossini uh, from a Ram source on why Odell signed there. Again, it's everything that we alluded to. Go and check out that full video. Um, on the 49ers end of this, Hayden, uh, we're getting to the point with Jimmy Garoppolo. While, yes, possibly you can make the argument that he's done well the last two weeks, I would argue that he's been kept clean in a lot of those situations. And still, when he's being disrupted, it's going haywire. But maybe when he's being kept clean, he now has his three primary pass catchers in George Kittle, in Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel. So that now is the closest thing we have to the offense that we believed at large in heading into the season. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see the target shares. That's like the only thing. Last week, it was dead even. It was like nine targets, eight targets, eight targets between the three of them. The difference is we're probably not going to see 40 pass attempts all the time. So somebody's going to have to emerge. I don't think that all three of them having six or 20, 25% target share is going to be good enough if we're expecting Debo Samuel to hold on to the role or have George Kittle be a top three tight end. We'll see. It's not a great matchup, obviously, against the Rams, uh, but at least they're at home. Vegas is kind of somewhere in the middle where they're projected for 22.5 points. That's 19th most on the league. So I don't know. I think that this is going to be the 49ers offense should look pretty decent now that they're fully healthy at the skill positions. I do think that their biggest problem right now I don't think that offensive line is very good at all outside of Trent Williams on the left side. Yeah, especially with Mike McGlinchey on injured reserve for the rest of the season, their starting right tackle. You, you had a good point during the usage show about Debo Samuel and worrying that he's going to keep up basically top three wide receiver numbers the rest of the season. I'm obviously with you on that. I changed my opinion that can we lock him in as like a top 12 option moving forward? I don't think we necessarily can. I think a lot of the the points you made were, were really important. And it's because Hayden, I mean, he's averaging 18 yards per reception. And while I think Debo is incredible, that's the potential is always there for a big play when you're getting 12 targets or 13 targets or 11 targets. And now he might get eight or nine of them. And there's also a chance that when the 49ers lose this game, which obviously they're expected to, the team is now going to be three and six, almost virtually out of the playoffs. And it would make zero sense for them not to get Trey Lance more starts because as we have seen throughout the entire league, the only way to learn is to go in and make mistakes on the fly. And Trey Lance with one individual game, that's not enough for him to do that. I mean, the two examples you can bring up immediately, Hayden, are what Justin Fields has done in his development in terms of understanding pressure packages, how much time he has in certain reads and throws versus Jordan Love sitting on the sideline for the last two years against an easy opponent and not looking good. I know that there's like a very tiny sample that I'm talking about, but for years I have thought the best way to learn is just to act and do and fail and grow from there. I'm a hater, but my biggest takeaway is draft, you know, the five-star recruits from the big, big boy conferences like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and the when Jordan loves Zach Wilson's, Trey Lance's, 
they're a little bit on my radar, you know, just hmm. we'll track it. Okay. So for this week, where are you going to slot the likes of Debo Samuel and Brian Ayuk? Cause I know everyone's going to have Debo in their starting lineups because of what he already has in the bank, but Brian Ayuk's getting up there now where we're getting a full-time player basically or as close as we could have gotten. And it's the opposite. Someone who has let us down all season long. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk, 46 of 49 dropbacks last week. He's a full-time player, and I thought that he looked really good. He had that terrible fumble, but the rest of it, high-pointing balls, looked pretty explosive, like the same type of player that we saw at Arizona State and in flashes last year. Um, just the consistency is key with him. I would probably say Debo Samuel, I guess, is a wide receiver too, but if that turns into a wide receiver three, I'm not going to be surprised. Brandon Ayuk, more of a flex uh, he's the wide receiver 49 over the last four weeks, but the last two weeks, nine point eight expected fantasy points, 13.4. That's enough to get him on the flex territory. Um, hopefully neither sees that much Jalen Ramsey, but they move Jalen Ramsey around enough. And all those screens like Debo Samuel underneath, like here comes freaking Jalen Ramsey head hunting. And there's nobody yeah. closing at corner with like as crazy of a tackler as Jalen Ramsey. So, I don't know. There's a reason why the Rams have been number one and number 10 against fantasy receivers the last couple of years. I think we're going to get some Jalen Ramsey and George Kittle collisions as well. And most likely the the debut of Von Miller this weekend, which which will be fun too. Okay. That's going to do it for our show. We went through every single game on the Sunday and Monday slates. Ryan, One Rock, Roger, Macho, Jonah, Tony, we love you all for being here. Like and subscribe to this very channel go check out the odell beckham stream that we did 15 minutes just on him the player he is what that does to the other three wide receivers plus matthew stafford and the super bowl aspirations for the los angeles rams and i will remind you sunday we have two shows one at 10 a.m to help you with your start sets your lineups all that good stuff we treat your fantasy team like our fantasy team and then we also have a 7 30 show instant reactions right after the four o'clock window so be in the lookout for those on our YouTube channel. And as always, they're always in the podcast feed. All right, Hayden, go rest up. All of you, up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See you.